Hey everyone, it's Peter Rosenberg from Cheap Heat. Join me and the fearless, physically large stat guy, Greg, and of course, Super Agent 35 under 35, Dipperstein, as we tackle the biggest stories in pro wrestling each and every week. To hear us, follow the Ringer Wrestling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Stay mage and enjoy yourself. May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hello and welcome back to the Stadio Podcast. I'm Musa Kwanga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? I'm alright, thanks man. How are you? Welcome back. Listen, rested, recharged, thank you very much. All good. Fully recharged. Nice. Did you have a good time? I did, I did. I was out of Europe. Uh, in South Africa for a week. It was a delight and I'm fully recharged. It's wonderful to be back. How about yourself? I'm alright, thanks man. Oh, congratulations on your outstanding analog, which I enjoyed very much. Wonderful thanks. summary. Of the football, <laughs> yeah, no, thanks great, very much. great job, thanks. man. Really enjoyed thanks. it. It was excellent. Uh, thanks. Yeah, it was uh, very strange talking to a wall for ten minutes. <laughs> but no, thanks, man. Needs must, as they say. Something that I would rather not do again. So outstanding. Don't job. leave, please. Don't leave me. All the same, outstanding job. Thanks, man. Should we do some quick admin today? Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, just a quick roundup of some football from the weekend. Mm. But we're going to focus our attention on two managerial firings, uh, Julian Nagelsmann just before the weekend, uh, being replaced by Thomas Tuchel at Bayern, and late Sunday night, mm. Spurs deciding to announce that they had parted ways with Antonio Conte right. by mutual consent, which was, do you know what? Respect, actually. Showing real respect to the football podcasters for doing it on Sunday night as opposed to like 11.30am Monday morning. And giving us, giving, giving us deconstruct, yeah. Room to I, would, I would always, if I was a, if I was a head of comms or someone at a football club, I'd always wait till like one thirty in the afternoon on a Monday. <laughs> Everyone had like recorded their pods and then just been like, oh, big news. Well, I used, I used to work in comms and the thing people used to do was get stuff out. The trick was after 4pm on a Friday. Oh yeah. Everyone's just get everyone's out of so you just, you, Yeah. <laughs> you just put stuff at 6pm and it just drives people wild because they have to file. It was, yeah. That's what, what Bayern tried to do. Well, Bayern actually, they just tried to do it by like... Via Twitter. That was naughty. It was like people getting found out they were getting traded by a Woj bomb. That was naughty. That was naughty from Bayern. Yeah. Well, we will talk about it. We will. We will. Uh, but anyway, some other admin. Uh, it was Women's Football Weekend. We will talk a little bit about some uh, WSL stuff and a massive result in the Frauen Bundesliga. But yes. make sure you go and check Counterpressed with Flo and the gang because mm. I'm sure they'll be doing a big, big, big deep dive on the weekend's football. There's mm. North London Derby in the WSL. 
you and Flo will join Ian on Righty's House to also talk a little bit about that and probably a little bit about Conte, I imagine, as well. Mm. Um, maybe some England stuff. It's all very positive after England's two opening games. Yes. Um, but yeah, don't forget to check theringer.com. Stadio on Twitter, if it still works. Stadio Football on Instagram. Mm. And also, it's been a while, but uh, if you do like what we do, could you possibly leave us a rating and review, preferably five stars? <laughs> there was a guy who left a, a review not too long ago based on the trailer. He heard the trailer, apparently. I can't even remember what the trailer is. He heard the trailer on another podcast and was so incensed by how bad it sounded that he left a review <laughs> on the trailer. So, Amazing. thanks, man. Amazing. Oh, well. So, yeah, if you could give us a rating and a review, it'd be lovely. Yeah. Any other admin we need to push? Um, Nothing at present i think everything's out and accounted for so yeah cool all right then let's get into some football after this let's do it this episode is brought to you by jiffy lube cars can be a big investment so it's important to take care of them i once got a car that i started out with twenty five thousand miles on i got it to over two hundred thousand miles because i took care of it you know how you take care of a car you take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube. Car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, man, where do you want to begin? Because I feel like it might be worth just quickly beginning in Germany with Bayern Wolfsburg in the Frauen Bundesliga. Yeah. Because this game this was gigantic for the title race. It, it was. Wolfsburg didn't need to win. A draw would have been a really good result for them. Away at Bayern, it would have left the, the league still within Wolfsburg's hands. They did okay. There was some early Bayern pressure. There's, I think, a Clara Bull header off the bar in the first half. But then in the second half, Alex Pop had a chance. A very good chance. A really good chance. A chance that Alex Pop, at her absolute sharpest, finishes. Pio mm. had a very good chance too. The thing about this yeah. game, though, and this is completely premature to call it a power shift, but the way that Bayern went at Wolfsburg, obviously it was at home, it was at Bayern, it was disrespectful. They really tore into it really them. Was, yeah. And to be honest, if Merle Fromes had not played out of her skin, this could be two or three nil. Like mm. this actually- She's made a couple of really good yeah, saves. Yeah. Wolfsburg don't just need to be worried about the defeat, but the manner of it. Like the upgrade of Stanway in the midfield, who was outstanding. Stanway was superb and ended up with the winner, uh, a penalty very late on. Stanway and McGall combine so, so well. And they look like a team with an extra gear, Bayern, actually. I feel like Wolfsburg had, even though they created fewer chances, mm. I think they had the better of them. They had like two big chances to Bayern's one. Mm. Uh, and obviously Bayern winning the game with a penalty from George Stanway. Hmm. It's the way that Bayern, do you know what it was? It was the way that Bayern, um, they made Froms really work. And they got some good looks in quite good areas and they combined well. And I just, I wonder if there's a thing about midfield control. Um, mm. Because I was thinking about this in the context of Chelsea as well, watching them at the weekend and thinking, you know, like Chelsea made this a Panella Harder type upgrades up front mm. and Sam Kerr. Do Chelsea need that level of upgrade in midfield, that one player that 
I don't know. And maybe that's not fair on Chelsea, but I look at Wolfsburg and their midfield. They've got obviously Oberdorf is just a boss there and extraordinary. Mm. Like Bayern adding Stanway to the mix has made them, they, they, they were a counter-attacking team, even when they were winning the league or whatever. They still were a team that would like counter-punch you and primarily they're a different proposition, I think. Yeah, I just think that it makes them a lot more fluid with Zardritz. Do, do you know what I mean? Then, that, uh, yeah. And then that kind of like four of Stamway, Buhl, uh, Magul and Lohman. Lohman, who's just stepped up to a level that is just now elite every yeah. week, basically. So now, yeah, that, that by midfield is, is truly dangerous, actually. Um, mm, I mean, this is a, yeah. and they, they rested Leah Schuller after midweek. Mm. And she came on as a substitute in the yeah. second half. But, yeah. um, but still, like, they're, they're, they're two really, really good sides. And I feel like the fact that it took a penalty to separate to them. decide the game. It was interesting, the penalty, though, because it was a, it was a handball on Lena uh, Latvine. Mm. But actually, the referee just blew really early because uh, I can't remember who it was, but I think it might have even been Cindy Lohman just put the ball in the back of the net. So if the referee yeah. had played an advantage, yeah, yeah. Bayern would have Absolutely. been given the goal anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I wonder what it would have been so interesting if Stanway hadn't put that penalty away. But Great penalty though. It was a great penalty. Um, Bayern are now a point clear, six games to go. Mm. And uh, yeah, I mean, the only thing is I don't think it's maybe as cut and dried as it would have been in recent years. Um, you look at Wolfsburg did though last to them last time it was a 6-0 to clinch it and now mm-hmm. the comeback so but the worrying thing for Wolfsburg two defeats in the last four games in the league yeah. they're only two defeats of the season they had a 100% record before that defeat to uh, Hoffenheim mm. they lost 2-1 at home mm. um, but uh, yeah in other news in the Brown Bundesliga Turbina Potsdam won their first game of the season they beat Meppen 3-1 at home uh, I still think it's going to be a hell of an ask. They're eight points off safety, mm. but still uh, a draw and a win in their last two games. Quickly in the WSL, the title race is on. It is very much so. It is on. Manchester uh, City, it, yeah, yes. jumping straight in there. Manchester City 2, Chelsea nil at City. And Manchester just Manchester City just so impressive. Mm. So good, you know, and we can talk about fatigue, but the quality uh, on, on Chelsea's part, but the quality of what Manchester City did, just the movement, the playmaking. Chloe Kelly, for me, was the player who was the most devastating. I think I have a bias towards her because I just love the way that she plays the wide position. Um, mm-hmm. But just quality throughout, pressing intensity. And when Chelsea, this is the thing that must worry them because they made a double substitution after 35 minutes. And if someone mm-hmm. had said to you, oh, like, if someone said to you three months ago, Emma Hayes, do a double substitution of Ingle and James after 35 minutes, you've been like, wow, that's wild. Like, I can't see that. But that's the extent to which City have, you know, closed some of the gap on Chelsea. And that's the chasing pack as well. Like, the problem that, that Emma Hayes has, I think, is making adjustments. Mm. Like, is there, I mean, obviously they have players missing, Fran Kirby, obviously most notably, but, and, and harder too. And Melly Bright is now out. So you've got your go-tos are difficult to make adjustments. And, the replacements aren't aren't getting it done um, at the moment. Surprisingly, I wouldn't say wobbly, but yeah, just a couple of like underwhelming performances in big games from Chelsea that you that we haven't been accustomed to seeing. It starts to form a trend. If you look at the City League Cup game, the mm. final, and you look at like the Arsenal game, and you look at this one, there seems to be a bit of a problem where Chelsea get when you go after them early and maybe get something like a lead, they find it hard to claw back and adjust because I think they're mm. waiting. Do you know what it's like? It's like watching a sprinter 
who kicks for home and they think that burst of pace will take them. Mm. And the burst of pace, they put it in, but the pack is still with them. Yeah. And Chelsea, I think the problem is they've, their highest gear is no longer as devastating as it was. They might still win the league, don't get me wrong, but they will be aware if they do win the league that that gap is closed. That makes I sense. Ju- I think, yeah, I think that the, the league has got a little bit deeper and stronger and obviously with the emergence of Manchester United as well, which we'll talk about in a sec. Yes. It just adds a, you know, three into four, uh, sorry, four into three just doesn't go. Right, absolutely. And with the extension of the Champions League spots, but, you know, four teams fighting for it now, mm. it's really, really tricky. Yeah. Um, and I think that the, the fact that the games have started to come a little bit relentlessly, you know, like uh, the top, the, I mean, a few of the top five play each other next. So basically Arsenal host Man City mm. next, which is massive because Arsenal won 5-1 in the North London derby against Spurs away. And they were just, I mean, the first half was, it was 2-1 at half time. Um, Blackstenius opened the scoring and Caitlin Ford got a great goal for the second. And Spurs penalty for a handball and Kay McCabe, which Beth England put away. But then Black Stennis finished that with a vengeance. Yeah. That's low key angry. That's yeah, low, low key, key angry. Yeah, yeah. So if Arsenal beat City, they go above them on goal difference because they're three points behind, but their goal difference is superior. Mm. Chelsea uh, go to Villa and Manchester United go to Brighton. Brighton obviously struggling this season. And Chelsea's goal difference doesn't get them out of jail. That's the key thing with this title race. I mean, their goal difference is. Better than cities, but right. not as good as Arsenal, not as good points. as Manchester United. They've got to pick points up. Manchester United, who beat West Ham 4-0 at Old Trafford this weekend. Katie Zellan penalty for the first, uh, early in the second half, after uh, Sissoko brought down Alessio Russo. No, no, at half-time. West Ham actually did pretty well in the first half. Mm. Uh, Garcia's, Garcia got the second for Manchester United. It was a lovely goal, actually. Hayley Ladd the third, and then Garcia got the fourth and her second in stoppage time at the end of the game. Manchester United are top. 38 points. Manchester City also on 38 points with an inferior goal difference. Chelsea, 37 points having played a game less. And Arsenal, 35 points having played a game less. So, genuinely four teams in a shout for winning the league. Wild. We have league. Somewhere we don't have league, uh, and that's Spain. Barcelona winning again. Narrowly beating Real Madrid 1-0 thanks to a Fridley and a roll for penalty. Barcelona maintain their 100% record. My low-key favourite Barca player. She's amazing, Rolfo. Absolutely amazing. The versatility, unreal. Like pop, pop level versatility, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, she's playing left back. Left back can be forward, wide forward, whatever, mid, whatever, anything. Yeah. Barcelona are 13 points clear of Real Madrid. Uh, they've played 23, they've won 23. They've scored 99, they've conceded five. They've got a plus 94 goal difference in 23 games. <laughs> unreal. Back-to-back defeats for Real Madrid, though. Poor, uh, poor result from uh, against Tenerife. A good weekend for club football, uh, women's club football. Should we quickly talk about some of the men's qualifiers? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, can I can I begin with Kazakhstan? Oh yeah. Oh, you have to. Oh my god, this game because yeah. Kazakhstan hosted Denmark. Denmark with a very informed Rasmus Hoyland, who proceeded to put Denmark. Two up. With his fifth goals, with his fifth goal in two international matches. Yes. Atalanta, um, Atalanta did some incredible scouting again with that one. Incredible. They really did. Yeah, yeah. So 2-0 up after 36 minutes. Cruising. Yep. Two nice finishes. Yep, yep. And then Kazakhstan managed to get back into the game in the second half. Uh, Zeynut Denilf with a penalty. 
after a handball. Mm. After 70, yeah, with 20 minutes to go. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And then uh, Ashkat Taggy Bergen. Two minutes from time. Was no, that was four minutes from time. It was a four minutes. The absolute yeah, screamer. That is, you know, that's that's one of the goals of the season. In context, not just because of the strike, but it was an absolute straight up no apologies, a banger, a pure banger. You know that one we always talk about when, when Rakitic hits that volley against um, mm. Spurs. the Barcelona against Spurs, mm. and like his shirt flies off, like doesn't shut, but his shirt flies halfway up his back because he's ripped it with abs. everything. This man unleashed every part of his. His physical power into that shot, like every, like he he fully drained his power bar releasing this. It was like it's the kind of shot that you strike and you scream once it leaves your boot. You're like ah, like it was absolutely, it was quite literally a screamer. This ball it was incredible, unbelievable, it was honestly, absolutely unbelievable strike, incredible, and like stunning. Casper Schmeichel had just no, none, was just like none, none. It was, they weren't done. Aber Einbetoff with the, like just a few minutes later mm. with a header at the back post to win it. Love that header. Took his shirt off. Got booked. Seven minutes later, got booked again. Listen, his chaos wasn't done. Ah, who ah. care? Like, it was one of those like, I don't fucking care. I've just won the game. <laughs> a genuinely unbelievable result for Kazakhstan. I'm going to read a tweet. There was an amazing tweet that uh, I saw Alex Stewart retweet, formerly of TIFO. The original tweet said, UEFA putting Kazakhstan in front of a six foot two striker in form. This is torture. And then... Do you even Mikel quote tweeted it saying Kazakhstan in 29 years of their federation's existence had never won against a top 50 ranked nation until one man decided to hit tweet. Uh, and Dan, uh, this one from Daniel Story. Proper scenes in Kazakhstan where the home side have come from 2-0 down after 70 minutes to beat Denmark 3-2. In the last four years, the only nation Kazakhstan have beaten in, the qualifier, in a qualifier is San Marino. It's the biggest result in their history, he said. Amazing. So happy for them. So happy for them. Just unbelievable. An amazing result. Uh, speaking of absolute worldies, though, uh, Bobby D. Cordova reads goal for Jamaica against Mexico <laughs> in the Azteca. Just one of those, like, was not messing dream. Was that a dream? I scored this absolute worldie against Mexico in the Azteca. What a, what a, that strike as well, like, definition of putting everything behind it again. Yeah, yeah. Stayed hit. Yeah, it stayed hit. But yeah, ended up to all that game. But a wild, wild first half. Can I just, I mean, we're going to talk about the England games. Uh, just a quick shout out for France's 4-0 win over Netherlands. Can I say yeah. this? Antoine Griezmann has dyed his hair pink. And here's the thing, he can do whatever he likes. He can yeah, do it. I mean, this is the thing. When you are playing football at well, that level, I mean, no one's going to say anything. I mean, he looks like within, a, within reason. He looks like say. he looks like a matchstick. Let's, he looks like a matchstick at this point. But, I think he needs to pick his uh, fancy dress costumes just a little bit more white. <laughs> Those days are behind him. But I will see. I hope so. the amazing thing about Griezmann's goal um, for France in this game in the four 0 was this is a man that like he didn't just eat his own food. He cooked it. The amount of work that Griezmann's doing, incredible slide tackle. Like technically, as a as a defender. A defender is proud of the tackle that wins the ball off Taylor for mm. the start of the goal. Beautiful finish for the opener. Randall Kalamwani as the nine. I love that so much. I love how he plays. Do you know, I really love the way that he swerved gets, his gets, body he, out the way right. of Griezmann's goal. That, 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 that right there. <laughs> but also for the Mbappe goal, like the way that, that um, he allows them like, to play. He's like a more fluid version of like, a, a more mobile version of, of a Giroud, right? Mm. Like he's incredible. Beautiful footwork. Um, should have scored one uh, later on, but everything else he did was amazing. And Mbappe's goal, Mbappe's second goal as well, if those get a chance to see it, the man threw two dummies in the edge of the box and hammered it in the corner. 
find you someone that loves you. If you're single, find you someone that loves you as much as Mbappe loves scoring bangers against the Netherlands. This <laughs> seems to reserve a special treatment for them. Um, so yeah, that, that, that was just worth mentioning because France, again, looked incredible. You look at their bench alone, two Turan brothers on the bench. That was great. Camavinga on the bench. I mean, oh. Did you see the video of like, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, the yeah. Are going off to Clairefontaine. It's being such a dad. And they're just like, dad, stop it. I love those complaints though. They're like, those total dad complaints, you pretend to hate it, you're kind of loving it. Um, so yeah, France, Netherlands, 4-0, worth checking out just because they were incredible. But mm. should we talk about England quickly? Yeah, let's talk about England yeah, very quickly because yeah. I think the result against Italy was, we talked about it in Wright's house. It was, it was pretty impressive it, despite the second half not being I mean, both Incredible. those results in their own way are kind of impressive, actually. Well, I think the key thing with, with, with qualifiers mm. is that you know you're probably going to get through, mm. which sounds quite arrogant, but I think if, you, if England look at that group, they know that Italy away on paper is the toughest fixture. Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean that it's the only one that they have to worry about winning, mm. but, but on paper it's the toughest fixture. I think this result was just very, you know, very, very calm from England yeah 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 lock the game off in the first half and basically just play the game out make some changes um and yeah I think it was just very like no drama I think um obviously we just talk about Bukayo Saka because I mean no drama I mean Luke Shaw we have to mention the the Luke Shaw red <laughs> oh oh yeah in the oh yeah yeah, yeah. but just in I terms mean, even that in even, the Italy game yeah I was even, talking about the Ukraine but game. even that the depth even that the depth the fact that like you can lose Shaw you have Chilwell in yeah. The fact that you've got no Grealish, you've got Grealish on the bench for Madison. You lose Foden to appendicitis. You've got other options. It's just yeah. the depth that England have is yeah. The depth of England is, is ridiculous at this point. Um, yeah, it really is. Yeah. And I feel like this is this is kind of one of those that just keeping it ticking along. Yeah, I mean, it was sure. it was Ukraine's first qualifier. Yeah, and they've obviously had they've got many challenges obviously off the field. So many, yeah, yeah so many. But um, just a great performance from Bukayo Saka. Oh, lovely ball for Kane's goal. And a lovely, lovely goal from his, for himself. Do you know both um, both, both Saka involvements? So the the assist and the goal, mm. they really summed up his aloof. Like you can't get near him as a playmaker. Yeah. There's the way he creates space separation for the cross, unbelievable. The gap he puts it in is astonishing. It's like a Steph Curry pass for those who are basketball fans. Yeah. Um, and the way that he rolls his man to set up the space for the second goal, he's just operating at an elite. Because the fact is, like, after like, that assist and also Saka's reputation, that is such a rigorously policed part of the field. And still he turns him so easily. Like, the poor guy doesn't get close to him. It's, you know, going up against Mikolenko, who's familiar with Saka, plays against him in the Premier League. And also, I know he's kind of playing more in midfield, getting some help from Alexander Sinchenko. Still doing that. But yeah, what else to say about Bakari Saka? Just, I hope he stays fit. That's what, <laughs> I just hope he stays fit. He's shattered every stereotype of what a player his size can and should be doing in terms of the regularity of the form. And it's unreal the run he's gone on, actually. Still only 21. Yeah, yeah. Unreal. Italy beating Malta in, the, in, in that group as well. And uh, obviously there are a couple more qualifiers um, from other groups this week. Mm. Ireland against France, a good one. And uh, Netherlands against Gibraltar, obviously needing a response. And uh, Scotland versus Spain on Tuesday. Ooh. Can we just shout out Wales as well for that late equaliser against Croatia, which was massive. Yes. It was an amazing result for Wales. Big, big. Actually, and also shout out to Morocco for uh, beating Brazil 2-1 in a friendly. 
big criticism of Brazil uh, for losing that. But I'm like, hang on, guys, it's Morocco. They're not clowns. Oh, like, people need to calm down. Like people, people yeah. fill up the World Cup that quickly. Morocco just a very good side. Like, yep. Won a different day could have won the whole thing. Exactly. Well, that'll do us for the football roundup, I think. And uh, let's get on to some managerial chat after this. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Do you want to begin with Nagels? I think we have to because it's bigger. It's bigger news. And in terms of what it means for Europe, it's bigger news, actually. Yeah, so for those who uh, are unaware, it broke, what, late Thursday night? Mm. That um, it was actually broke, broken on Twitter by Fabrizio Romano. Mm. That Bayern were considering or were about to fire Julian Nagelsmann mm. less than two years into a four-year deal with Bayern having the league in their own hands, still in the Pokal. And still in the Champions League. With a really impressive dismissal of PSG. Yeah. A treble was on the cards. Yes. Let's say. Or possible. Treble was Mergli. Yes. Auf Deutsch. Very much so. And, um, and they were going to replace him with Thomas Tuchel, who had apparently been living in Munich already for a few weeks. Sneaky Thomas. Imagine that. Sightings Sneaky of- Thomas. Terrifying. <laughs> apparently, Julian Nagelsmann had. That's how he found out. He found out on Twitter. Yeah. And so did the players. Nagelsmann is gone. Tuchel is in. Took a signed a contract, I believe, until uh, summer twenty twenty five. There's only two and a two and a quarter year deal. What are your initial thoughts? It's the first. You know, Bayern used to be nicknamed FC Hollywood. It's the first FC Hollywood thing we've seen in a while. It's back, and yeah. I feel like there's a kind of chaotic energy. You know, energy cannot be catered or destroyed, right? And I think that the chaotic energy that's left Real Madrid has now found root in other clubs. This was an ugly spectacle, I think. Um, I can see why I can see the logic of Bayern's decision. I don't like it. I see the logic of it, but just the fact that he found out from a third party on social media. Not a good look. It's not a good look. Funnily enough, I don't think it shifts the needle so much in your own, uh, to use your phrase, in terms of the player perception, because I think they're like, this is Bayern. Ugly stuff happens here. Like, you know, losing Niko Kovac like they did, then Flick coming in and changing everything. So this is a dressing room. These are players who are used to a, a level of mid-season, late-season turbulence. I think that it's really frightening for Bayern's rivals because if there's any coach that can come in and instantly get things working in the short term, it's Tuchel, that can reconfigure and attack and mm-hmm. get the best out of players. In terms of the medium, the long term, though, as Bayern's rivals, I'm not that worried because, like, and even, the, even Sky Sports Germany said it, they said, this is not an easy appointment. Like, you are taking a risk because could I, could I yeah, yeah, uh, say, um, say, say, um, say a right. man say. famed ah, ah. for falling out with executives at football clubs 
had, who famously left his previous club uh, or was fired from his previous club. And one of the main reasons quoted was that he didn't like being in a WhatsApp group with Todd Bowley, has now been thrown into a WhatsApp group with Salah Hamasic and Khan. Right. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, that two and a quarter year deal is looking extremely long. It's looking very long. It's looking very long. Yeah. And we are huge Thomas Tuckle fans. We are. Fun fact, the Conte Tuckle handshake this season. That, that blew my mind. Well, it's like, how has that? This season. Was it Nick Miller wrote that on I, Twitter, I think? I don't believe that. This I, season. I don't believe it. Too much. You know what? I, I want to do, you know, there's, there's these everything, everywhere, all at once memes going around. I want to do one with the handshake. In another <laughs> life, I would have loved doing Tom, like, Taxes and laundry with you. <laughs> Just, <laughs> that was being set up as like a rival, a rivalry for the ages. In fact, you know, you know what's fascinating about that? If you look at the actual surrounding context of the people in that photo, in that photo of the video, quite a few of them have bounced as well. Like they're, they're not the. <laughs> I'm watching Goodfellas. No one's left. No one's left. Everyone was just, everyone thought they were going to be made. They were all gone. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, Tuchel at Bayern. I mean, just back to, back to Nagelsmann very briefly. Mm. In terms of what that means for him, like he's still only, what, 35. He was brilliant at wild. Hoffenheim. He was brilliant at RB Leipzig in terms of how competitive he made them and the way he made them play. The Bayern fit always felt a little bit of a strange one only because like if you look at where he got goals from for RB Leipzig, he got goals from Werner, but also from Angelino, like a fullback. He likes to really shift things around. He likes to take your skill set and like pull things up people haven't seen before. And he put him at Bayern, which is very much a kind of like, you know, it's like Real Madrid. It's like square pegs and square holes mm. football club. And he's not a square pegs and square holes guy, actually. Um, so already from a tactical point of view, I was like, ah, oh, he's like, he's going to shift people around in ways they're not entirely comfortable with. That's a bit of a worry. But I didn't think, I felt like Bayern was not only too soon, but also the wrong fit in a way. I think this is an interesting, sorry to cut in, but I think this is an interesting point because I felt the same and I feel like we might have mentioned it at the time Mm. where I think now, Mm. and I don't think this is a massively kind of galaxy brain point, but I think now because of the pool of what you would call genuinely contending clubs in Europe is way smaller Mm. than it was back in the day. Yeah. Um, I feel like making that move too soon in your managerial career is so risky. Yeah. I think Poch, Poch did it with PSG, for yeah. example. Yeah. Uh, I think that Nagelsmann, Nagelsmann's rep would have benefited hugely, for example, if he'd, I don't know, say for argument's sake, he'd stayed at Leipzig mm. until now. Let's yeah. do, a, let's do a, a, an off-the-cuff theoretical mini what-if, right? La- Nagelsmann stays at Leipzig. They do okay. They maybe come second again. They maybe get to a Champions League quarterfinal. Mm. They might win a Pokal. Yeah. You know, like, who knows? And then he's still at Leipzig now. Conte's fired by Spurs. Yeah. Nagelsmann, that move to Spurs from Leipzig looks seamless and like the next step in his managerial evolution. Mm. And he's always going to be tipped for the top jobs and he just keeps them all at bay and keeps ticking along. You know, he's only 35. That looks like a, do you remember like you always cite the, and I'm, 
I mean, in, it's not looking as great as it did a couple of years ago. But for example, I mean, it, there's actually rumours that he might go there now or th- at the end of the season. But Romelu Lukaku saying no to Real Madrid. Yes. You know, the kind of faith in your own ability that's yes. like, no, I don't need this yet in yeah. my career. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I wonder if... The, I think it's a little bit like... It's a little bit like Conte at Spurs, although I think Conte's... Depending on what the club is, I think Conte's rep might be a little bit more damaged than Nagelsmann's. I think that's, like, that's absolutely right. Also like Poch and, and Tuchel at PSG, like actually there are certain clubs that you kind of get a bit of a free pass on now um, if you don't succeed there because they're seen as little mini anomalies mm. in global football. Does, is that, that's not too disrespectful, I don't think. I think Bayern is one of them because Bayern are... I mean, it's basically we're talking about an underwhelming season last season and it's the side that won the league. And I think that's more of a state of how things have moved in Germany that Bayern could still win the league and find everything a little bit underwhelming. Mm. Um, I think it opens up a difficult conversation for the future of what success looks like in Germany. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and what it looks like for Bayern because I personally think with, with Nagelsmann, I know that Bayern had already essentially lined up Tuchel to take over in the summer and they just couldn't wait and I don't think he wanted to wait and they were worried about missing out on him like they did when he went to PSG um, Nagelsmann he's been the victim actually he's Nagelsmann has actually really been a bit hard done by but this is the problem when you've got a Tuchel waiting in the wings yeah it's the it hor- makes everything yeah. a lot of managers were very relieved when he took the Bayern job for sure for sure they were very relieved because Tuchel being there just mm. out of work one of the best coaches of his era that, you know, there really is, if we're going to be like really brutally, like three maybe coaches in that final enclosure in the absolute elite category, it's Tuchel and two others. That's how good he is. He's that good. He's amazing. He's unbelievable. And he was out of work for that long. People were absolutely cacking themselves. So he's out of work, you know, he's got a job now. And there's very, if it's any consolation to Nagelsmann, and it won't be, there's only one other, there was only one other coach in the world who could have taken Tuckle's job at this point. And it was, and at Nagelsmann's job, sorry, and it was Tuckle. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Yeah, for example, like if, if they weren't going to, I don't think they would have moved on Nagelsmann for anyone else, really. No, they wouldn't have. He's the perfect person to coach Bayern in the short mm. term. And his appointment, they're, they're fully aware of his personality clash past, right? They're, they're fully aware of that. Yeah. So they're not making an appointment. This is interesting from Bayern's perspective. They're not making an appointment for the next five years. They're doing, it's, I mean, it's, no, short, they're not. it's short-termism. What this is, is basically like- They're making an appointment for the next five games. It's the nitro, really? it's the nitro, it's, it was, you know, like in the Fast and the Furious, they press the nitro button, just, yeah. it speeds off. It's a short-term burst. It's a short-term acceleration to pull away from the chasing pack while they work out what they're going to do in the longer term, I think. And also because Tuchel turned them down before and they did it, they didn't get him. And also, if you look at Bayern, actually, the last few years, their real interest is, you know, the European Cup, the Champions League, they've won that more recently with Flick. But they're trying to pull away in the domestic level because they feel the chasing back. If they just cared about Europe, Nagelsmann would still have a job because he seems to have figured it out. The Bayern performance they put in over two legs against PSG, I know PSG were not sort of at their level, they should have been, but it was the way they dismissed them. 
They dismissed mm. PHG in a way they look like they look like potential winners of this tournament. They could win the whole thing. So they've solved the problems at European level. This is an appointment actually, weirdly enough, made for domestic football. Because watching them in the Bundesliga, watching them in the Bundesliga, teams are, teams are disrespectful. Mm. There's games I've watched Bayern win this year when I'm like, yeah, they've won games, but you come away going, that is a dangerous victory because it papered over a lot of cracks. I think the Gladbach result was the one that really seemed to kind of spark this. Oh, for sure. It'd been, it'd been coming for a while. And the Gladbach result had been coming for a while. Yeah. And then the Leverkusen one, obviously, just yeah. buried it, really. I mean, when you start having, you know, Nagelsmann started talking about moles. It's like, oh no. <laughs> like, you, as soon as stuff like that starts, when oh you start, no. When you start, when you start going into the era of analogies. It was similar to Conte, really. I mean, we'll talk about Conte in a little bit. Yeah, but it was, if you're in a press conference and actually it gets to the point where if a manager all of a sudden just said, wake up sheeple, it wouldn't be massively out of yes. the vibe of what's currently going on. <laughs> then you know that shit's got a little bit like, oh no, this isn't going to, yeah. this isn't going to be good. When the philosophy starts coming out, it's normally the beginning of the end. Yeah. And I think there's, there's a lot of stuff wrapped up in Bayern that, I mean, I think there are actually quite a few parallels with the Spurs situation in a way, but on a different level, because the player power at Bayern is, has been something that has got a couple of people fired over the last few years. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it got Kovac fired. Yeah. Flick has this just, this air of, of... Uh, also, he was known from the national team too. He'd done that work. So he had, he had a bit of leverage. Yeah, yeah. he did. Yeah. Tuchel has no history with Bayern. Didn't play for them. Hasn't coached them. Has no, you know, like, isn't your Pinkus mm. who can just come back and just make everything okay. Isn't Hansi Flick who spent time there as a player and had had that, you know, had won the World Cup with Germany as an assistant. It's different. It's going to be interesting to see. And I feel, I feel like if we say, we said this with Tucker when he, when he took the, the Chelsea kick, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens when the first time things don't go too well. But I think the major thing at Bayern is that you've just seen how, just circling back to my original point, like right off Thomas Muller at your peril as a manager, because it will be, you know, how it's, this guy is still the hanging way. up. And, and like the fact that Manuel Neuer can literally go skiing in a, in a mid-season break, break his leg, have the, like, he said that thing where it was like, I'm at home. They did that amazing interview with Rafa Honigstein. Yeah, unbelievable. About like when they fired his best mate and goalkeeping coach, he was just like, you did this when I'm at home with a broken leg. Not, why am I at home with a broken leg in the first place? Yeah, incredible. You did this while I'm at home with a broken leg, not when I was there. And it's just this 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 disharmony amongst senior players. And to be honest, there aren't that many left at Bayern. No. Now Lewandowski's gone. You've really essentially just got Müller and Neuer to a degree. I think Kimmich and Goreska are coming in in their own little world. And actually Kimmich is an interesting one because Kimmich loved Nagelsmann. That's what that's exactly. So the new breed is actually the, the dressing room is being terraformed towards a Tuchel style manager. Mm. A, a, a Tuchel style manager. Weirdly enough as well, Nagelsmann, you can argue he got there too, a few years too early. Yeah, because I agree. Nagelsmann working with the new breed of yeah. of buying player, much less noise. It was like when Pep, like when Pep's, like got Thiago and Tony Kroos, and yeah. all of a sudden they were just like, "Fuck yes!" And like Thomas Muller, they were just like, it was like them. It was like they'd essentially been given footballing DMT. Yes, their minds were open. Thir- Absolutely, footballing third eye shit going on. <laughs> buying Waska. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's hard to unsee the things that you've seen when yes. you pour it onto Pep kind of thing. Absolutely. I feel like a lot of that generation, like Goretzka, 
Kimmich, maybe some more like Delict, although I think the Delict thing was interesting because he kind of got thrown under the bus a bit about like when he said that thing about oh, the, this training session and it kicked years. off a load of stuff yeah. back in Juve and, and especially someone who's trying to like revitalise their career a bit. So I think with Nagelsmann, I just feel like, put it this way, I think Nagelsmann worked at Leipzig. They're smart. They know what they're doing. Do you know what I mean? And they also know the reputation that they come with, right? Yeah. And you had a, a lot less protection at Bayern. You're right. There's a lot wrapped up in that Bayern job. There's a reason why Ancelotti got it. Yeah. And Nagelsmann didn't. It's because actually Nagelsmann is, look, actually Tuchel and, and Nagelsmann, are both, they're both nerds in the best possible way. They're nerds and football is just everything. I, was, I read a great interview actually at The Athletic as well um, about Clay Thompson, plays at Golden State Warriors and about how Clay is just a basketball nerd. He just loves, mm. he just loves basketball. It's his obsession. You see a similar thing with, with Nagelsmann. Like it's just his primary thing. And that's not enough as a buying coach actually you need to be a bit of a politician. You need to be able to work the angles, work the room, work the refs, whether it's like with a bit of grace and charm, like a Heinkus or an Ancelotti or whatever. If you think who's worked best there, I suppose in recent years, it is a kind of Heinkus and Ancelotti figure where you get in, there's no noise. You know, conversations about how, you know, leaving the dressing room or conversations of, you know, the, the, the delete comment doesn't leave the dressing room under Ancelotti. Mm. No. It doesn't happen. And I think, there was just too much noise. And this is, it sounds really hard to say this. We joke about Nagelsmann's like outfits and different clothing and stylists. Actually, too much noise. Mm. Bayern Munich is ultimately a conservative institution with a small C. Like when I say with a small, if you look at the reaction to um, Hans, when Hansi, I always talk about this, when Hansi Flick won the Champions League with Bayern and he only posed for the trophy, mm after all the players had their fun with it. And then and only then was like, can I have a picture of the trophy with my, my mates from, 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 the, from the coaching staff? So that's what a buying coach looks like. And Nagelsmann couldn't have been further from that. There's too much main character energy. And it's weird because the board is allowed to act up, right? The board is allowed to act up. The board is allowed oh, to like, yeah. you know? But yeah. They're allowed to climb all over the furniture and do all of that. But, but Nagelsmann never fully understood that, I don't think. No, and I think that's interesting because Nagelsmann, was, I think, was a boyhood Bayern fan, right? But I feel like right. there's also a thing when you're at that age, when you're in your early to mid-30s and you're joining a club like Bayern and you know that's kind of like, there's no bigger, currently at the moment, there's no bigger job in German men's club football. And probably never will be, actually. So you're basically, you've already maxed out in your home country in terms of like what your what the level of your job is. Mm. Uh, yeah, but we, we talk about this before. I think Kovac tried to do something similar is that you're still in the early stages of your managerial career, but whether or not, I mean, Nagelsmann is, although he's stated numerous times he doesn't want to coach forever. He doesn't want to, he's not going to be one of these guys who coaches into his fifties, I don't think. Yeah. They all want to be the guy who reinvents the wheel. Yes. Yes. Absolutely right. Like, I think Nagelsmann did some good things at Bayern. I feel like the way that he's transitioned away from the, the reliance on Robert Lewandowski has actually been quite good. But I think there's also been, one of the main criticisms I'd aim at Julian Nagelsmann is that he didn't simplify tactics enough for some of the players that were in that squad. I think he overcomplicated it. To be honest, I think, let me be brutally honest, I think he overcomplicated it. Because we saw Kovac trying to do this and then uh, Flick turned up and initially just put square pegs back in the square holes and then just like tweaked it from the man management side in addition to that kind of like air of seniority that he had. You can overcoach players. Here's the thing. Yeah. I'd, I'd love to watch Tony Kroos and Luka Modric as a fly on the wall, watching them watch a Bayern game. And I'm sure they'd be like, just let the players play. Yeah. They really don't need that much, actually. Bayern footballers are so tactically smart. They've navigated so many challenges. There's an element of letting them play with freedom. 
You mm. put Ancelotti in charge of that dressing room right now, I think their performances transform. Just because it's like, go out and do this, go out and do that, you know, stay to fix positions. And it's not that Ancelotti's not sophisticated tactically. He is, he's smart. Like he, he has Rodrigo playing as a false nine sometimes. Like he's not a clown. He, play, he has Valverde playing as a winger. A lot of people wouldn't have done that without Valverde. Elite man manager. Right, he, but as a man manager. And I just think that's where Nagelsmann kind of, he fell down a bit, not necessarily in terms of the interpersonal relationships, but just in terms of like, don't constrain players. Yeah. And actually weird. Or don't, don't like ask them to do so much that they actually can't right, do the right. things that they're really good at. There might be an element of him thinking actually at some point when his time at Bayern, like, why am I here? Mm. You brought in someone who's got, you know, track record. Like I said, I always mention the Angelino thing. Angelino for a long time was RB Leipzig's top scorer. He was a left back. Now he's what, a half nine? Right. And that's almost like, you want a coach that comes in and reinvents players not one that comes in and does status quo and just enhances that. So that's a bad fit from the start. Tuchel, we've seen, is a different category because to win a Champions League with that mess of a forward line mm. is incredibly impressive. Very few other coaches in world football. I was having a chat with a friend actually about this last night. Um, and I said, for example, like Tom, Thomas Tuchel's use of Timo Werner against Pep Guardiola one of the most devastating tactical solutions anyone's found for a Pep team. Do you remember how Pep just hated playing him? Mm. And that they played those three games that year and the second game, it was the League Cup final, the FA Cup semi-final, something like that. And like, the FA Cup semi-final, I think, and Tuchel just destroyed them and you could see Pep was worried because he knew what it meant. I mean, just think this is one of the reasons why they probably move now. I know yeah, it yeah, sounds yeah. like... No, but, you're right, you're right. If, you're if, right. if you're prepared to tear up the contract with a guy that you paid 25 million euros, I think, right? Yeah. At this stage of the season, it's probably because they're like, we got Pep next. Tuchel had a lovely time against Pep. He really did. They beat Dortmund and they get rid of and they get past City in in the Champions League. It's completely different. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about more because it is Bayern against Dortmund first game back mm. this weekend but, uh, in the Bundesliga. Let's maybe move on to the club where Nagelsmann is rumoured to maybe be going. Mm. And I think it's a good fit for him, actually. I think he would be next season if he doesn't have a if he if he doesn't want a break and he wants to go straight back into it. Mm. Uh, let's talk about Spurs, who parted ways with Antonio Conte, not unexpected. I think he went to Italy after that game last week and hasn't come back for training. I think Ryan Mason and Stellini have been taking training. They're going to take charge until the end of the season. Big question is: Does he return to England at all? True. We've talked about Conte quite a lot recently. I feel like we've probably been focusing more from his perspective in terms of like what a year he's had mm. on a personal level, which I still think people should take into consideration because no matter what job you're doing and no matter how much money you're being paid, it's going to affect you. Daniel Levy is one of the luckiest men in football. He's one of the luckiest men in football because he is so lucky that Nagelsmann is even on the market. Mm. And he was lucky that Conte was available for the time he was available. Mourinho was available. He was lucky. Like, you can't, Spurs have kind of done a low-key Chelsea. They've got away with the Chelsea parallel, the Chelsea comparison, because Levy doesn't spend at Abramovich levels. But in terms of dysfunction, they've done a Chelsea basically and they've got away with it. And they, they don't mm. deserve to be getting away with it. And I say that not because I'm having it as the fans. It's not that. It's Daniel Levy specifically has to take this. You know, the sacking of Pochettino, the failure to back him at the time with the funds, we've gone into the reasons why that didn't happen. Mm. You, I cannot think of four different managers of a club than Pochettino, Nuno Espirito Santo, Conte, 
and Mourinho. That is not a club that has a clear short-term, medium-term or long-term strategy. Mm. And they need to get one quick because this is, it's humiliating for Spurs fans. And the thing now is, the problem is with Antonio Conte having that outburst that he had in the press conference, the sad thing is, right, no one's ever actually come out and said that before. People joke about being, being Spursy and whatever. You hear that, that's social media talk, right? When your own manager. The damage, the lasting damage of what Antonio Conte did, that monologue or that press conference when he just goes off and is like, 20 years they don't win. That's really dangerous for clubs. Um, psyche and brand and all the rest of it. Even at mm. Arsenal's lowest, you never had an Arsenal coach come out and say that. No. Or a player come out and say that. And I think what Conte, Conte did tremendous damage, dude, with that. I, I went back and just checked the episode that we, we did when uh, Spurs fired Nuno. Mm. And a lot of what our focus around it was uh, Daniel Levy making decisions more with ego as opposed to what's probably the best for the football club. Mm. We can repeat a lot of the stuff that we said there, actually. Mm. And I think that what needs to happen at Spurs now is a massive changing of culture. Mm. Yeah. Because the last few managerial appointments, I think bar Nuno, Nuno was a really weird one if you think about it. Super weird. I think I mentioned before that Levy always wanted to turn Spurs into a club that could hire someone like Jose Mourinho. But when that point came... He was no longer Mourinho. His stock wasn't as high as it had been in the past. And actually, I think I said uh, that Mourinho was quite lucky to get that Spurs job at that time. Considering what Spurs was, who they were. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Going for Conte, again, I think there's been a lot of revisionism about what people's stance was on Conte before he joined Spurs. A lot of people were talking about him being a person who could probably come in and change the culture at Manchester United. We don't know how that would have turned out. I think the experience would have been different to how it would have been at Spurs because every club is different the personnel are different the interactions are different he probably he could have got he could have got more money out of them he, he, he might have done and he might have also done okay yeah. we don't know what was clear now in hindsight is that the culture fit was, at Spurs just was weird the Conte half-life is like Mourinho half-life you know this thing yeah. about this, this, yeah. this, this management style of creating tension and making players exhausted those managers are not lasting long anymore There's, their time is kind of up look at Mourinho and what he does and the kind of raging the dying of the light Mm. having your players so tightly wound they can't perform. It's not sustainable. It's not working for Simeone. It's not working for Conte. It's not working for Mourinho. It's absolutely working for Ancelotti. It absolutely worked for Flick at club level, right? Mm. You know, let players breathe a bit. Even Arteta has slightly mellowed. Arteta is not as highly strong as he was. You know, you know Arteta beginning now, there's more of an ease to his conduct now, I think. I think mm. he's found a happy medium. You know, he's still wild and care to what he needs to be. I think he's tempered that actually quite well. Um, so that style of management from Conte, don't get me wrong, I, I did think it was a good appointment when he got the job. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I did. Yeah. And some of the football they played was great. I th- think there's also something else going on, which is, you know, the thing about um, Conte raging about a lack of investment, I can get that from Levy's perspective of, you know, we did give you money. We did buy you really good players. I thought they had mm-hmm. some really, Bentancur and Kulisewski are not clowns. They're wonderful footballers. Good signs. They've really missed, Bentancur, when he's not been playing. I think maybe it was. The problem, I think the initial thing is, the problem with Levy is, if Levy, look, he spoke to Conte at closer quarters than anyone else involved in the the negotiations. He would have got a sense that Conte ultimately felt the job was not of his level. Right? Mm. When you're coming out with monologues about the club hasn't won in 20 years, that's a level of contempt it's hard to hide, right? Mm. When you first arrive in an institution. So that sense that basically Conte was taking the job going, "Mm, Spurs aren't my level, but I'll raise them. If you have a manager, and this is a lesson, I think, to Levy, never again employ a manager 
who thinks he's too big for the club. Yeah. That is at your peril. The beauty of an appointment like a Nagelsmann, and again, he's one of the luckiest men in football that man is available, is that Nagelsmann looks at Spurs and is like, it's a huge club. Like he won't, Nagelsmann wouldn't, if he takes a Spurs job, he won't be taking it thinking it's beneath my level, but he, he won't have that mentality. And that's a really good crop of players they have at Spurs. Mm. And the beauty of that squad is it's a squad you can really coach. Yeah. But this is the interesting thing about the potential Nagelsmann to Spurs thing is that it's almost everything that Spurs would want in a manager. Mm. Because if they go for someone like Luis Enrique, right? It depends. I mean, to be honest, it just totally depends on where Daniel Levy thinks Spurs need to go next. There either needs to be a bit of a shift in power or there either needs to be a shift in focus. And I think the same thing happened at Arsenal a few years ago. And, I, and I, I'm so sorry for making that comparison to, for Spurs fans because fuck me, Arsenal have made some silly decisions and, and mm. really, really messed up. And I think they've got, a lot, they've got very lucky as well. The Paratici thing is really ex- interesting because that trial starts today and refreshing executive level, refreshing the squad with a manager that's young, dynamic, and tactically and development focused is the key for Spurs. I think something new for Spurs is needed because you're not going to get fired from Spurs if you don't win the league. You're not going to get fired from Spurs if you don't win a cup. You're not going to get fired from Spurs if you don't win the Champions League. To be honest, you might not even get fired from Spurs if you don't qualify for the Champions League at the moment because like we said with the WSL earlier, what is it? Six into four just doesn't go in the Premier League. Mm. Seven, really, with the addition of Newcastle. I feel like there needs to just be a bit of connection, a bit of hope. The reason I make the Arsenal comparison is because that connection was broken and I feel like it's broken at Spurs now. Utterly. Can I be honest? And here's the thing, for a big club as well, Spurs are a huge club and here's the funny thing. A lot of people laugh at Spurs, but they should also envy them. They don't have sports washing stuff hanging over them. They don't have massive off-field scandals around players hanging over. They don't have that. They've actually got a pretty clean bill of health. They're a club you can support and sleep at night. They've got a gorgeous new stadium, facilities, everything. Mm. And they've got, contrary to a lot of people's belief, they've got a really, really good squad, right? And they need someone to come in and be like, wow, I'm so excited by this player, that player. You know when like Ten Hag mm. came in and he was like, no, when, when Casemiro came in, he was like, oh my God, Rush was even better than I thought. He can be one of the best in the world. You need someone to go in there as a coach and be like, I'm so excited to work with these players. So-and-so mm. at a fantastic level. Jed Spence, oh my goodness, what a gem. Like. So excited to work with Pedro Porro, Christian Romero. We have World Cup winning experience. Wow. Like Lloris in the dressing room. I'm so excited to have these players in the dress. You need that excitement and that joy and that almost like um, childlike wonder. And that needs to come before money is spent. The first thing you have to do is, re- is reassure the players that you believe in them and restore their faith and not be like, oh, mm-hmm. we're going to come in. It's a new player, new investment. You need to go in there and be genuinely excited. And the reason why Nagelsmann is brilliant for that specifically, not that it will be him they appoint, but a player like a coach like him is great because. When he went in RB Leipzig, I think they jumped in. Like they scored like 20 goals more, I think, uh, the next year. And they didn't have any new investment, pretty much. They had mm. almost minimal new investment. He went there and he coached the hell out of the existing players. And I just think Spurs need, weirdly enough, this is kind of good for them because they've hit the bottom. It, it, like it kind of can't get worse. Like they're not in relegation zone. They're not whatever. So it, in, a, in a spiritual sense, it can't get worse, right? But they're still well-placed in the league. People are kind of, you know, having their jokes and they'll get their jokes off because it's Spurs and all the memes will fly. But the, in a funny kind of way, the clarity of clearing out the Conte problem, there are still problems at executive level, but it's almost like they've almost bottomed out. 
it's not a bad it's not a bad place to um to rebuild from. You know, like when Deserby went in at Brighton. Mm. That's the kind of coach you need. You need someone who's tactically exciting, who goes and who's got a bit of charisma. And I think you see a turnaround quite quickly, actually. I, uh, yeah, I mean, it's worth noting that um, I mean, Opta posted a tweet saying Conte averaged one point eight eight game at one point eight eight points per game in the Premier League. Played fifty six. 132, drew nine, lost 15. It was the second highest figure for any Spurs manager with a minimum of 38 games in charge after Poch. And this is a sign of how much stuff has shifted under Spurs, like in terms of expectation. Yes. The the only problem with Conte, I think it was just too short term. It was always going to be short term. And I feel like actually accepting the gig, I think to be honest, when someone throws that amount of money at you, You you're going to, as a manager, you're going to be Hard pressed to say no. Hot take. I don't think Spurs need that much, actually. No, I don't think they need that much. I feel like they need a this 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 preseason, for example. If they get a manager locked off before the end of the season to take over in the summer with when there's no men's international tournaments, there's a free free like preseason Full to pre-season. really get on the training yeah. ground and get going. A couple of really smart signings and maybe moving a couple of the senior players on who aren't really delivering. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not like Nagelsmann loves Harry Kane yeah. I think Nagelsmann would be fine working with Harry Kane I think that's a partnership that will be like will make a lot of sense I think Nagelsmann to Spurs fits in so many ways yeah Um, but I don't think Nagelsmann alone will be enough no I don't think it's it, the thing with Spurs is that it's bigger than the manager it's bigger than just actually getting rid of some players there needs to be a bit of a rebuild uh, in terms of structural, executive, and basically just kind of like without using, it sounds like I'm using like bullshit football buzzword bingo, but like almost a philosophical change. I agree. I agree. Can I say this? The changes in this, I, I agree with everything you're saying. And just to add to that, yes, Spurs need more than just a new manager, but I think that the new manager can be the catalyst for that change because it will give people the leverage at board level mm. to be like, look, look what this new appointment is doing. They need more of X, Y, Z you know, in a way that even like Ten Hag, for example, Ten Hag, you know, of course he's had his challenges at United. I also think that Ten Hag has empowered people at ball level to make different asks. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because the appointment has worked on the pitch, it shouldn't be that way. It should actually be the executive that kind of like, in, in a healthy football club, the executive level is so solid and so secure, like Brighton, for example, that the executive level basically informs everything else at the club. That's a, a functional organisation. Spurs are a bit dysfunctional at the moment. So the catalyst has to come from the next appointment, right? Mm-hmm. So they make the right appointment, results start changing, performances start improving, and then it makes those members at board level. We've always said this before, there's middle managers at these clubs who know exactly what they're doing. It empowers yeah. the middle managers to be like, actually, the coach is doing great. They'll do even better if we have X, Y, Z, and the board will be more open to it. And here's mm-hmm. the thing as well. Levy has had a couple of, you know, these are a couple of big humiliations, you know, bad appointments. I think he's more willing to listen now. And there's a sign, and to, to Levy's credit, there's a sign he's listening more because the Kulisevsky and Bentancourt transfer window was really promising. And the Pedro yeah. Porro thing as well, because here's the thing, right? Spurs, under a more cocksure Levy, don't make that signing. Pedro Porro was really impressive because I thought, you know what, actually, Levy's listening to people in his camp. Something's mm-hmm. changed. And I think he is mellowing a bit. So, you know, we criticise him, but to give him some credit, I think there are signs of a positive direction. Um, maybe he doesn't move as quickly as he should, but there's no denying that he's improved, not quickly enough, but improving somehow. Like the transfer market moves I saw they've made recently 
It's like when Ramsdale came in. Ramsdale and, um, you know, like all the, I hate the, I know that Spurs fans will hate the Arsenal parallels, but bear with me. Cronky, right? You think mm. of the way people talk about Cronky before. And then you look at the transfer window acquisitions, right? Ramsdale um, and Ramsdale and uh, Ben White in particular. Bangers. Mm. Does it mean? So people can learn, like, Cockshaw owners, but that, but that took, but that, but that took a change at executive level. So I feel, and and it also needed. It took a, uh, a a manager that understood the club and built that connection again between fans. It almost like mm. it's almost like having a fan in the room a lot of right. the time. Yeah, yeah, okay. So I feel like like with Spurs, if they they don't have that with Nagelsmann, but they have someone who might be able to develop them in develop them into and sees that as a project. Yes, right? yes, yes. And I feel like for for him is perfect. I think. Yeah, I think it's perfect if the, if it happens. And for Spurs, it would be really exciting. And I'm excited by the thought of it. Because, yeah, because I think like a lot of these managers want Premier League jobs. Mm. The Spurs gig is kind of a no-brainer. Yeah, yeah. I think for Conte, a rest. Yes. Take a rest, yeah. take some time. Yeah, I don't think we should underestimate how difficult this has been for someone who's gone through that this year. And uh, yeah, I know a load of people won't really care because we've said that, but I feel like, put yourself in a position where you've lost three people extremely close to you. Like the things we talked about. I mean, no matter what the money is. If there was ever a man more in need of a year off. Take like, a break. Yeah, just yeah. Go, go and be a, go, listen, just yeah. go and be a beekeeper for a, for a few months. Like, honestly, <laughs> yeah, go and look at modern art. <laughs> See what Fabio Capello's up to. Like, just go and chill. Go and chill out with someone. Go and talk to someone who is a similarly intense manager in a similar environment and ask how they manage their downtime. Yeah. I'll just go and just, do that. Just reach I wanna, out. I want to yeah. see, yeah. I want to yeah. see, you know, some Instagram ads for Antonio's honey in like Thank six you. months time. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, all right. Should we leave it there for today? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, we hope everyone's staying safe, staying well. Don't forget to check Counterpressed for all of the women's football action from the weekend and check Wrighty's house tomorrow with Flo and Musa and Ian. Stay will be back on Thursday. Don't forget to check the Stadio Acho's playlist on Spotify. Speaking of which, playing out on Pirate and Magic Touch. Title seems a little bit apt in, in the podcast where we've talked about two managers <laughs> leaving their posts. Yes. A track called Step Down. Anything you would like to add, we saw Gwanga. Nothing further. All right, everyone, much love. We'll be back with you on Thursday. See you then. Bye.